0: Thank you for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast coming to you on Wednesday, February 1st. Happy February, everybody. I've got a Power Rankings episode for you to start the second month of the new year. These Power Rankings just focus on the Eastern Conference. I'm joined at first by Jamie DeLancey, and then Ben Gulker comes in to talk about the Pistons and the teams on the playoff bubble and the teams in the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. A great episode, one I know you're going to enjoy. And thank you so much for continuing to support this podcast. I get so much great feedback from this podcast, and I got a lot of great feedback off of the last episode, the Trade, Rumors, and Fake Trades podcast. I want to thank Jacob again for putting together a list of great trades, and then everyone on the DBB community for giving us that feedback and your own trade ideas. Looking through some of those, it was a lot of fun to see what other ideas are out there for the Pistons, and I hope Stan Van is watching. These are the important moments, Stan. As always, if you can, I'd ask that you share this podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes, so new episodes are posted right away. You can find archive episodes at blogtalkradio.com slash Boys, And if you go to DetroitBadBoys.com, the home for this podcast and an SB Nation site, you're going to get daily updates on our team as well as great analysis and content coming to you every day throughout the NBA season and off season. Definitely a website to check out, and this is definitely a good episode to check out. Thanks so much for listening. You're going to enjoy this one. It's time to go to work. 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 So on to talk about the Eastern Conference Power Rankings for the start of the month of February. Jamie, I think you said it best. It's a weird time in the Eastern Conference right now, and it's a perfect time to do the pod. So on, on to talk about the Eastern Conference in full is Jamie DeLancey. How are you, sir?
1: I'm do, I'm doing fantastic. Happy to join you guys. Like I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird month. It's been a weird start to 2017 for teams in the East, um, which has been good for our Pistons, but just also weird all the way around. So excited to talk about it.
0: Yes, so we're going to go ahead and start at the bottom, and I'm not sure how much we'll have to say about these teams at the bottom of the East, uh, but there are some interesting storylines, even with the bad teams right now, uh, but let's go ahead and start with the absolute worst, and that is at number 15, the Brooklyn Nets. They're 9-38, and what also sticks out to me, 2-21 and on the road, 0-8 in their own division, really struggling in the Atlantic. Uh, they've lost their last five games, they're 1-9 and in their last 10, uh, Jamie, right before we got on. We were talking about in the last 20 games, it seems they've been noticeably much worse than the way they started this season. Uh, what have you thought of what you've seen from Brooklyn so far this year?
1: Yeah, it's just it's not a good-looking situation. I, I feel bad for the dozens of Nets fans left in Brooklyn. Um, because they're just going to end up giving this pick away to Boston. And I, I really... I struggle to see uh, any light at the end of this tunnel. It's it's tough, man. It's it's a weird group they've assembled, and I just don't see how they're gonna drastically improve it anytime soon. So yeah, that's that's really all I can say about it.
0: <laughs> Very quickly, Karis Levert's getting some minutes, putting up like seven points a game, playing under twenty minutes. He's been playing well Sean Kilpatrick as well I think is someone that could at least be in that rotation in the future maybe Rondé Hollis Jefferson although his jumper is pretty broken still so
1: and I have Rondé Hollis on my fantasy team and it has been torturous to like have to drop him and pick him up week after week just for screaming purposes I I can't stand it it's awful
0: yeah that that must be like a really deep fantasy league if you've got ronde Hollis Jefferson oh
1: 14 teams uh Ooh. keeper league two keepers per team it's it's deep I've been running it for five years now it's that's shout out to rap game David Stern, which is the league but, uh, yeah
0: <laughs> I like that that's that's some pretty serious fantasy going on yeah, uh, that's probably the best way to end the uh the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> on on <laughs> <laughs> for this uh, Eastern yes. Conference Power Rankings. Yes. Let's move on to number 14, a team that's really been struggling recently, and that's the Orlando Magic, 18-30. and 30, They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Uh, at the time of recording, they are putting up a nice fight right now against the Toronto Raptors. They're up 11 with about five minutes left. So why has this season gone so wrong for Orlando? Is there something you can point to that, that says why this has been such a loss of a season?
1: Um, I think two things. Uh, one playing Gordon at the three, uh, has been just noticeably bad for him, for his development as a young player. Um, the guy excels when he's closer to the bucket and not starting out in the perimeter. Um, it, it's kind of like the jot. It's like the Josh Smith situation, the Pistons had where they were putting an obvious four out on the perimeter and in Josh Smith's case, it just like encouraged him to shoot terrible threes. Where, whereas with Aaron Gordon, it just he doesn't have the moves to operate out there. Um, he's a slasher, and, and I think uh, he's more of a stretch four type player um, who doesn't need the ball in his hands as much at the three position. Um, also, I think something they've gotten better with is bringing Peyton off the bench as kind of like a six man his numbers have been a lot better. Um he's been playing some of the better ball of his career lately, which might be, you know, a potential trade chip for them. Uh if they're if they want to move him, I would keep him if I was Orlando, but I thought the same thing with Tobias Harris and they ended up moving him. So, who who knows with that team? They're it's just a weird organization all the way around.
0: Yeah, and I think part of the issue with Gordon too is they just added too many veteran players that had to get minutes at the four and five and push Gordon out of that rotation. I think he'd be a great small ball center because the the way his game is played, like he's, he's just stretchy enough at this point in his career that with some of the other athletes and wing players that they have, I thought this is the type of team that should go small and they've gone really the opposite direction this year. And, And you're right. That's part of the problem is I think just the personnel They don't really have a good idea of how this roster should be managed. And how this roster was constructed, I think, was done poorly. Anything else on Orlando before we move forward here?
1: I'm really interested to see what this does to Vogel. I don't know how to say it. Spoiled in Indiana. um, And I think he's a really good coach. And it just hasn't panned out so far in Orlando. And, like, I remember going to see... Uh, The Magic, I think it was like the home opener this year for the Pistons, and you could tell he was just really frustrated with this young team. So I'm curious to see. It it seems like he's gotten them to play better in stretches. Can he turn it around in year two next year? I, I, I think so, but I don't know. It's a really interesting kind of subplot to watch
0: for their team. So if I was Frank Vogel, I would consider updating the resume and maybe looking around at the end of this season and seeing if there's another opening that might be a better fit, because I think his time in Orlando is going to be really rough. And after this year, I have to think they go full rebuild. If they don't start tanking now, I'm not sure what the point to the rest of the season is, because I, I think I think the season's at a loss, so you might as well try to just improve that draft stock as much as you can.
1: Yeah, I mean, right now, Jeff Green is at the free throw line with four minutes left in the fourth quarter of an NBA game in 2017. Like you got to just call it right
0: now. right? The season's dead. Yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Call it. Let's move on then to the Miami Heat in at number 13, a team that just beat the Pistons and have won seven straight. Seven straight. So I, had, I had to put them ahead of the Orlando Magic. Uh, winning seven of their last ten, seven in a row, beating the Pistons. Something has clicked with a roster that includes crunch time minutes for Rodney Magruder and Luke Babbitt. And I'm not sure what's happening, but it's happening right now in in Miami. And it is a hot streak that has put them now five games out of that eight spot. And Eric Spolster is still talking like this is a team that if it all comes together, they want to keep competing. And part of that is coach speak and he's saying the right things. But part of me looks at the rest of the Eastern Conference and the Knicks and Bulls struggling. And you're right, the Hornets are a very streaky team. If Miami can turn this streak into something that they can – you know, used for the last 30, 40 games, then there's a chance that, you know, they could get a little closer to that that playoff bubble. Jamie, as a betting man, I want to know, were you hurt by the Dion Waiter shot a few nights ago, or or did you stay away from that game?
1: (laughs) I stayed away from that game. I've (laughs) been, uh, yeah, I've been trying to cut back on the weekday uh, NBA picks. It's it, it's i i pick and choose my spots a little bit better, but yeah that was that was brutal that was a bad beat for a lot of people um yeah <laughs> that was rough
0: well let's uh let let's keep moving on here uh moving forward now to number twelve we have the philadelphia seventy sixers I really contemplated the teams at eleven and twelve possibly flipping Philly, but that could be a little bit of a little bit of bias because i've enjoyed the process so much uh but philly right now is seventeen and twenty eight seven and three in their last 10. It's a team that seems to have figured it out. And a lot of it has been the play of Joel Embiid. Jamie, I heard you agree with having them higher in the power rankings. Would you have them higher than the Pistons?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I would actually, um, just based off the last 10, 12 games they've played. Yeah. I think, I think they'd be in that nine or 10 spot. Um, I might even have them higher than Milwaukee to be honest. Um, they they've really impressed me. I mean, the fact that the Cavs reached out to them to trade for TJ McConnell and they and they said no, they hung up the phone for TJ McConnell. I mean, trust the process. That's that says everything right there. Um, but no, I, Embiid is like he's he's a franchise player. Um, he's shown that much, and I think you know there's been a lot of articles written recently. Who would you build a team around? Porzingis, Embiid, or Giannis, I'd pick Embiid. I mean, just in watching a few of the last Sixers games, his versatility and the, the multiple dimensions to his game is really impressive, uh, especially for his size. It's yeah. it's crazy to watch. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely have them in that 9 or 10 spot if, I, if I'm doing a power rankings.
0: And doing it without Ben Simmons as well, that guy that they thought going into the season would be the primary ball handler, yeah, and they had really high hopes for Ben Simmons in his first season, so and we it's might get have that. That been able to do this
1: we might we I think we're gonna get to see that in like a month is what they're saying he might be back, so very exciting right, times right. for Philly fans,
0: yeah, after a few very tough seasons, uh this one already. In your 11 games under 500, it has shown some signs of life for the 76ers organization.
1: Also, Raise the Cat, fantastic hashtag movement they've created. Yes.
0: Yeah. Now they've capitalized on being one of the great trade machine teams as well because they have all of these pieces, Jalil Okafor, New Orleans, Noel, that could possibly move because Joel Embiid has become a franchise player. It's interesting going forward what they do to build around Joel because I think that clearly has been the big takeaway from this season. What players and what assets um, do they hold on to and and which ones can they part with to improve that roster? Uh, I have to think they would be looking to improve point guard, maybe find another guard. I have like what I've seen on Nick Stauskas, but if they can make a move close to the deadline, you could really be talking about the 76ers just fighting for the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah, I I think they definitely are. <laughs> they're in the conversation. I think they're going to be hanging around till March or April.
0: Yeah, which is amazing. Thinking, you know, back just a few months, uh, what we thought of the Seventy Sixers till now. It's it's really incredible. In at number eleven are the New York Knicks, a team that is four wins ahead of the Seventy Sixers uh, at twenty-one and twenty-eight, four and six in their last ten. A train wreck, but it totally it had, the train hasn't fallen completely off the tracks yet. <laughs> if that makes sense, Jamie, your your thoughts on that, and your thoughts on the Knicks.
1: Yeah, they've hit a breaking point with Melo. I, I think they just need to figure out a way to move him and get some get some future assets, but also some good role players that they can kind of build into their foundation. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is just figuring out how to make Kristaps the. Central point of their offense um, because him being a third option right now, which is from the games I've watched, it, it's just not working out. Um, you need to build around his skill set, which is such a unique skill set, and and right now they just don't have the roster to do that. So, I'm really curious what they can get for a mellow trade. It, it's looking like it's going to be the Clippers, if anybody, um, which presents a lot of intriguing scenarios. So. It'll definitely be something exciting for NBA fans to watch as we move into kind of trade deadline season.
0: Yeah, which is really already gearing up there. I know there are talks that the Clippers and Knicks are looking for a third team to bring into a deal that would possibly move Carmelo to L.A., and it would not involve one of the big three on the Clippers roster. I'm not sure if that's a good idea for the Knicks because, Jamie, I agree with you. You want to bring back some younger pieces if you can. And some players to build around Porzingis, and if you're bringing back Austin Rivers or Jamal Crawford and a few other, basically salary fillers, yeah. I'm not sure what that does for you.
1: Crawford Crawford is the only one I would very much agree with because he's a great great veteran presence on the team. I think, especially if you're going to start building around Porzingis, and I mean I'm biased on Crawford. I'm a Crawford stand, but um, Rivers makes no sense. I, I just yeah. I the whole scenario they've kind of talked about is just bewildering to me.
0: Yeah, if it's J.J. Redick and Austin Rivers for Carmelo Anthony in some form uh, with some added filler, that, that to me is just not good enough for a player that no. I think could really make the difference in that Western Conference playoff race. <laughs> if you have a healthy Clippers team, which we've yet to really see this year, adding Carmelo Anthony, uh, there's still only one basketball, so I'm not totally sure how that offense works. But right now... I think New York needs to make a move sooner rather than later because it's hurting Chris Tapp's Porzingis in his development this year when he's just kind of standing out on the perimeter as that third option, like you said, Jamie, uh, watching Derrick Rose and, and Carmelo Anthony run that offense. It's not doing him any favors, not having a point guard who can get him in good spots or having a player that he can play off of it, at least, like at the very least to have someone he can play off of, and you're not seeing that. Uh, so let's move on the teams at seven through 10 I think you could mix them up and throw them in any order and I would probably generally agree with it because right now it's so close seven through 10 but I'm going to start with our team at 10 I've got the Detroit Pistons at 10 it could be in part because I've been so disappointed by the last two games which we can definitely talk about the last two but at 21 and 26 you know being without Reggie Jackson Jamie uh your your thoughts about where this team fits in the Eastern Conference
1: Ugh, ugh, that's how I feel about this team. I just—it's a huge, depressing sigh. Um, who was it? Aaron McCann of MLive put up an article today where Stan basically said, uh, "Maybe other teams have figured out our offense." Oh, that's—that's that's great, Stan. <laughs> I'm really glad you're just giving up on the playbook in January. That's—that's—that's that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, And and basically in the article went on to say we have to figure out new schemes and new plays to to get the pick and roll working again for us. Yeah, I'm – you know, this says everything about how being a Pistons fan has been this year. I watched three college basketball games this weekend. I pride myself on not watching any college basketball until March. And I watched three this weekend because I'm prepping for – the lottery that the Pistons are going to be in—that's that's where my head's at right now. Um, yeah, I I think we have an identity crisis. Our thing—I think front office Stan and head coach Stan are both a little stubborn. Unless we make a big move, I I don't know. I know on paper we're still in it. We're only a game and a half out uh, of the eighth spot, but. I'd almost rather they miss it. I think it would force our hand a little bit more. And I'm I'm looking towards 2017-18 at this point.
0: Yeah, I agree that it might be in our best interest, as strange as it sounds, to just miss the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it's a deep draft. And yeah. I, th- I, I think if there's one year for us to kind of take a step backwards and, and maybe reevaluate some things, this is the year. Um so I'm I'm not super, I mean, I'm bummed, but at the same time, there's a lot of silver linings of, you know, if this team doesn't turn out the way we all kind of thought it would.
0: Well, just going off the identity crisis, is is this another year where we need to make a move at the deadline like we have the last two with Stan? Mm,
1: not, I, I think it's, it's. I hate to be cliche, but it's either a go big or go home kind of a move. I I think there's something going on with the Reggie Drummond chemistry at this point. Um, I know Drummond's issues and and kind of struggles despite, you know, last game being a legit awesome game. Um, I I don't know if it's in the Pistons' best long-term interest to kind of stick with him as the face of the franchise, and, and that's a big question to kind of face in the mirror, so... I don't know. I think you either make a really, really big move or you don't make any move and just kind of see what happens because the East is that weird
0: right now. Ben, what about you? Is the identity crisis something that can be solved with a trade?
2: Yeah, so I definitely think it's – you know the identity issue is one that could be solved through a trade. If it were me, I'd be looking to move Reggie Jackson. I think um, Andre Drummond's physical tools just make him so rare. And I think given what we've talked about last week, it's going to be hard to move him – given the way the NBA values big men right now, it's going to be hard to get equivalent value back and, you know, no offense to Reggie Jackson, but he's just not that hard to replace. He's, he's certainly a competent point guard, but there are lots of point guards like him. And I don't think you can say that about Andre Drummond, in spite of the fact that, you know, he has some clear weaknesses and hasn't developed um, like we hoped he has or hoped he would. And, and I think the other thing I'd point to is the first 21 games of the season, this roster showed that it can work with a, a pass-first point guard, KCP's movement off the ball, and Tobias Harris as sort of the centerpieces of the offense, and that produced an 11 and 10 team. Um, you know, will it hold up for 82 games? I'm not sure, but it, it's certainly not going to be worse than what we have now, in my opinion. And uh, so, for me, I'd be looking to change the identity by trying to find uh, a point guard that's a little less ball dominant, dominant, and a little less shot happy and try to go back to that KCP off the ball movement and, and running things through Tobias with the ball in his hands a lot more.
0: Is, is it something we can fix by playing Ish Smith more and Reggie less? Is, is that even something we can do with the, the contract that Reggie has and, and the fact that he is, you know, supposed to be the starting point guard? Uh, I think so. To come down I to mean, having to trade him? I don't,
2: I just can't see how that, you know, Reggie, I don't think he's an arrogant person. But he's certainly like he's certainly a big personality, right, and I think he's a very confident person and i you know I would really worry about how well he would handle that. you know we don't re- ultimately know how and why things went sour for him in Oklahoma City, but it's pretty clear that things went sour for him, right, and he was the odd man out in the locker room for whatever reason, so you know I'd be reluctant to do that even though it might produce better outcomes on the court yeah
1: i've I've kind of hit a similar point where I wanted to write off the OKC locker room issues at first as just, you know, oh, Durant and Westbrook are there, being around big superstars like that. has to be, you know, an interesting situation. But we've kind of hit a point with this team where I'm like, maybe those those issues are kind of carrying over. Maybe it's Reggie and, you know, his... Kind of confidence and cockiness. But well, and the thing is, like he puts
2: up people. good individual numbers, right? Like I talked about that when we were debriefing Miami. Like, you look at his box scores of late, and he's putting up a high number of points on an efficient shooting percentage and a pretty decent number of assists, but he's impacting the games in ways that it isn't necessarily being reflected in the box score. And I'm a box score guy. I think the box score tells us a lot about basketball. I think his defense is really bad, and I think the way that he dribbles the air out of the ball at times is just very demoralizing. And
1: especially in the
2: fourth quarter, when
1: it become, you know, opposing teams know that the Pistons in the fourth quarter have two options. Reggie's either going to drive it or he's going to panic at the last second and, and try to figure something else out. There's really no flow to our like last five minute offense. It's, and everyone's kind of got the book on it. It's it's really depressing to watch.
0: And that's why bringing in a point guard who plays differently and maybe forces Don't say Stan Ricky. Van G- G- G-
1: Don't say Ricky. No, G- not Ricky G-
0: <laughs> But forces Stan Van Gundy to not rely so much on that pick and roll action. It might be good for the offense. And and it probably means going away from Reggie Jackson, but I think if you brought in a different style of point guard and it forced the coaching staff to look at how that offense is going to play, similar to what they did when Ish Smith was the starting point guard, you might be able to find something other than that pick and roll action and just four out one in basketball.
1: I got to stop getting Pistons point guard jerseys. I, if, if we move Reggie, I'll now have a Brandon Jennings and a Reggie Jackson jersey that are just be completely odd. 10 years from now, I, I got to invest in like a Tobias Harris or a KCP Jersey at this point.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good question. What Jersey right now can you buy and, and guarantee that player will actually be here for like seven to 10 more seasons. I bought a, Is it. Dre? I,
1: I bought a Drummond onesie for the little one we're expecting in March thinking that was uh-huh. the safest one to get. Um, So hopefully he sticks around just for the little one's sake. But yeah, it's, I don't know if you're buying a Pistons jersey, good luck. It's it's kind of Russian roulette at this point.
0: It really is. Yeah. No one is safe. Yeah. And that's something Stan Van made very clear this week when he said, everyone's available. Everyone has a price, which I thought was a very interesting gangster way of looking at the NBA trade market. And honest. Um, It was, it was very honest. Yeah, I agreed. Let's move on to number nine. I've got the Chicago Bulls in at number nine. That could change very soon uh, after the Rondo post on Instagram. The team's 23-25. and 25. They're 0-2 since the Rondo post, 4-6 and 6 in their last 10. It's starting to really show... You're starting to see some of the problems that many of us in the preseason expected this team to have with all of the players they had on this roster. It's starting to come to fruition. Uh but it's a team that could still make a move and maybe help to clear out some of the issues that they may be having in the locker room.
2: Gosh, like thats I can't think of anything like that ever happening. I mean, social media, like, changing our world in all sorts of unexpected ways, and it's impacting every part of life. But yeah, I mean, it's got to be locker room. I mean, certainly these players don't necessarily fit. I wasn't ready to write them off at the start of the season because I thought they had enough talent that it could overcome some of the fit issues. You know, I think Jimmy Butler and and Dwayne Wade certainly still could come together and and rally this team. I don't think that's out of the picture just yet. But gosh, how does Rondo make it work after this? Certainly this is a locker room and personality problems,
0: no question about it. Jimmy, what are you seeing with the Bulls?
1: I, I actually was doing some research before this pod, and I'm really excited to say I have a guaranteed prediction for the Bulls in February. Um, front page, back page, second page, you can print this. The Bulls are going to go 2-9 and nine in February. And, wow. Yeah, and they're going to plummet to the bottom of the Eastern Conference. It, I just did a quick look at their schedule. After tonight against Philly, which they're only up by 9 now, so don't don't count out Philly after that fourth quarter against Houston – after Philly, they go on a six-game West Coast swing. Thunder, Rockets, Kings, who have like made a hobby out of beating Eastern Conference teams right now. Warriors, Suns, and Wolves. Then after that, they come home to two games, Raptors and Boston. And then I think they have like the Nuggets, which is winnable. Uh, but the, it's a back-to-back, and the second game of the back-to-back is against the Cavs. I mean, if you look at their February schedule, even with the All Star break, I just don't see more than two winnable games in there. It's it's a really rough stretch for them.
0: And it's a rough stretch if things were just normal right now in Chicago. Oh yeah, and that, that would be a rough stretch for really any team.
1: I mean, right now they're in the like if the playoffs started today, they'd be the seventh seed. But yeah, it's been a disastrous week for their locker room, and looking at their upcoming schedule. I don't see how they survive and come into March higher than eleven or twelve in the Eastern Conference. I just I just don't
0: see how it's possible. Before we move on, Ben, just back to you for a second. Would you just wave Gosh, Rondo? That's a good question. This is a I keep going back and forth. Because I'm not sure if he has any value right now on the trade market. Uh, because I'm I'm sure any team probably knows that there's a chance he could just be waived. I wouldn't just yet, but I don't think it would take me much, much longer
2: to be ready to make that decision. I think, obviously, they've dropped two in a row. If they drop three more in a row or something like that, maybe it's not salvageable and you just let them go.
0: I I wouldn't do it just yet, though. I I would give give them a week to try to figure it out. And with the stretch they have coming up, it could really start to open up things for any of those teams that are just outside the playoffs, Pistons included. There's a spot that may be opening up very soon. In, in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. so Good news for the Bucks and Pistons. Uh, let, let's move on to uh, Milwaukee. I have Milwaukee in at number 8. They still have a positive point differential. They've had a really rough 10 games, 2-8 and eight in the last 10. Uh, a lot of close losses in that stretch as well. But they are hoping to get Chris Middleton back soon, uh, and it's a team that if they can get healthy, maybe they can be the team that makes that move in the second half of the year. I listened to... John Hammond. I think it was on uh, Zach Lowe's podcast,
2: The Low Post, maybe two weeks ago now. It might be two weeks, but that's a actually a really awesome listen. He talks a lot about a, about Giannis and how they evaluated him prior to drafting him and how they were intrigued by his physical tool set but had no real sense that he would become a star. And even they've been surprised by just how good he is. He's a legit superstar. When you have a player of his caliber, you're going to win basketball games. Um, they have obviously fit issues. There's no question about it. Um, when you have a guy like Giannis though, it's hard not to, because you don't even totally know what sort of a player he's going to become yet. So it's going to be hard to, to figure out who to put around him. Um, Greg Monroe's playing well though. So former Piston alert, he's actually playing pretty well in a reserve role, um, putting up some pretty good numbers. Um, and I just have to mention he had one of his best efforts in a losing effort, which I think there's a lot of Pistons fans who will, who that will resonate with. But yeah, I think... Ultimately, they they just have some real clear roster questions because they don't, they don't know how to build around Giannis yet, and they weren't I don't think totally prepared for this breakout season, and you're sort of seeing that play out.
0: Yeah, this may have come a little earlier than they expected with Giannis. Uh, Jamie, beyond Giannis, is any other big takeaways from from the uh, Bucks?
1: It, it's funny reading um, reading some of Brew Hoops the. Bucks, SB Nation, I see a lot of similarities to DBB. Um, them just ranting raving about the defense collapsing at times. It's, it's really been at least the case for them as of late with these tough losses. Their defense just goes missing at moments. Um, I think Ben nailed it on the head. I, they weren't ready for uh, Giannis to kind of explode on the scene like he did. And I, I don't know how many people really were ready. I thought he was at least a couple years away from becoming the player we are watching today. Um, yeah, I think they're just playing a little above their pay grade at the moment. I think Middleton coming back is is very scary for everyone else in the East because um, watching them, they're a legit three-point dead-eye shooter away from being a, a team that could really make some noise in the playoffs. So I'm curious to see – what happens when Middleton comes back? And I think they're a team that could really fire up the, uh, in terms of seeding, I could see them kind of firing up the, the Eastern Conference standings as we head into April.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think getting Middleton back is a is a very big part of that. And you're right. it's it, For me, it comes down to the defense. If they can find some ways in the fourth quarter, find that crunch time lineup, and then find ways to stop teams. They're going to start winning more games, and you could see this being a team in that six, seven, eight spot that could be a tough out for somebody in the East. Uh, another team that might be a tough out, but really has kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde team this whole season, is the Charlotte Hornets. Ben, I'll start with you because you kind of alluded to it earlier. They've lost their last four games. They haven't looked to be that good in the last 10, but they're just coming off a 10-game stretch previous in which they were 8-2. and so we're seeing really good Hornets and really bad Hornets. What is there anything you can you can make of this team?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm still what
0: do you expect I'm still
2: higher forward? I think than a lot of people in Charlotte. I think they have a solid roster. I think Kemba Walker has proven to be a top tier point guard. I mean not not elite, but certainly a very good point guard who belongs in all-star conversations and and I think he's a, he's a really big part of of winning when they're winning. But they are really Jekyll and Hyde. That's a good way to put it. They've lost four in a row, and they've had four losing streaks now of four games or more, and and one of those was even a five-game uh, losing skid. So they're this really interesting, hot and cold team, and um, you know they they've been able to follow up all the previous losing streaks with winning streaks, right? So this is kind of a moment where if they can rattle off three or four wins in a row or win six out of eight or seven out of 10, all of a sudden they're right back up in the top half of the Eastern Conference. They've already done that a couple times this season. Um, You know, I I think, you know, I don't watch them a ton when they're not playing the Pistons, but I think what strikes me about them is if, if Kemba's offense isn't on point, they're going to struggle offensively. Um, It's going to be like that for most NBA teams, but when he's on point, He's so slippery. He's so tough to stop. And there are, you know, there's there's not a lot of teams that can deal with him uh, really effectively. So uh, I, I still think they're really good. I still think they have a chance, uh, like especially as volatile as Atlanta plays. I think they could jump up into the, the four seed yet. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. They just, if they could avoid four game winning streak or losing streaks for the rest of the year, that that's certainly possible.
0: Jamie, what about you? Uh, what have you seen out of the Hornets so far this year? I uh, I don't know if it's
1: Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I feel bad for their fans because it has been really streaky. They got to be crushing like blood pressure pills, like it's their job. Um, but I was looking into it. They're one and nine without Cody Zeller. I think this team hinges on Cody Zeller um, kind of orchestrating the defense and kind of pushing the flow on the offense. It's I can't believe I'm saying this, but he's. Behind Kemba Walker, I think he's the second most important person on that roster, even though he's not... I mean, you look at his averages, I think he's like 10 points a game, six boards, but he's crucial. He kind of has this like Draymond-esque role for that team. Um, So it really depends on how healthy he is down the stretch. I think he could definitely help them. Um, I think get to that four or fifth seed like Ben was talking about, but... Yeah, it's been it's been a weird team to watch. It's it's been really streaky
0: and really weird to watch thus far. Yeah, you know what's weird when Cody Zeller
1: is, is your second most important player. Yeah, that's that, yeah. that's a red flag if I've ever heard one. That's,
2: maybe that's they should trade for Luke flag. Babbitt and have uh, like the sneaky a team two and three options that no one was expecting. <laughs> what's the sneaky Eastern Conference All
1: Stars? Can we have this instead of the like? Rookies sophomore game. Can we have just like the rookies versus the sneaky Eastern Conference All Stars? Um, Babbitt, Zeller. I'm gonna throw Malcolm Brogdon in there. Um oh,
0: definitely Malcolm Brogdon's there, yeah.
1: Who else would be in there? Probably a Nets player just, you know, because
0: uh You gotta have one Sean Kilpatrick. Yeah. So I'll write that. <laughs> That's my right in that. Anyway. Yeah, it's and really and then the rest of the Miami Heat. <laughs> Deion Waiters, just for the you know, arm cross celebration. Gotta have him yes. in there. <laughs> you gotta have him there. Yeah. Uh, moving on to number six. Is that right? Yeah, number six. The Indiana Pacers. A team with a winning record. Now we're on to teams that have winning records. This is interesting. Twenty five and twenty two, six and four in their last ten. They got a nice little win streak going, uh, winning their last three. Pacers are a team that I know in the D B B community can be pretty polarizing and still are pretty polarizing. Uh, and the big question is usually are they actually good? So Ben, I'll start with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm I'm super skeptical good?
2: about the Pacers still. Looking at something like point differential, their expected win loss is twenty one and twenty five, their actual is twenty four and twenty two. So whenever I see, you know, a team that's got a an expected win loss that's actually a losing record. I'm going to be pretty skeptical because point differential is usually a pretty good predictor of of team quality, especially the bigger the sample size. So by the time we get to the 82nd game of the season, this is a team that I'm going to expect to fall off a little bit because I don't think they're actually good. I don't think they're horrible. I just don't think they're actually good. I think they've got, you know, they've obviously got Paul George and then they've got a bunch of guys who are like, you know, they could play good for a handful of games in a row, but they could also be abysmal for a handful of games in a row. And I think they're going to have, um, you know, maybe not quite a losing record, but, you know, I'd be surprised if they win more than 41 games.
0: I'm just not a believer. That is true. Yeah, I didn't see the point differential, but having a negative point differential, this is a team that I think looks vulnerable. The little that I've seen of them this season, they don't look like a team that at this point in the season would have a winning record. I think there there's some definite vulnerabilities with this team. They have played better defensively. Um, the offense is... It's, it's overall just a pretty average team, uh, and I think they'll start to show some signs of weakness come February, March, when these games start to matter a little bit more. Um, after the All-Star break, I'll be very interested to watch the Pacers those first 10 to 15 games to see if this is a team that's really going to hang around or not. Uh, Jamie, what have you seen out of the Pacers, and do you think this is a playoff team? Um,
1: I, I, I lean more towards the side that the Pacers are good. I I like the makeup of their team. I think, obviously, Paul George is a superstar and has kind of carried them at moments. But also, Miles Turner is a really special player to watch. I really enjoy watching him play. I kind of get a little envy that the Pistons don't have him. Um, But also, looking at their strength, the schedule remaining, a couple of different sites I looked at had them as the easiest remaining schedule. And now that I'm going through their their actual game-to-game look, I I kind of agree. Like, they don't really have a huge, tough stretch outside of, like, a couple games against Western Conference teams here and there. It's nothing too intimidating, though. I think this is a team that's probably going to hang around in the sixth, fifth spot um, as we head into the playoffs.
0: I I think they're kind of for real. I don't know why I'm disappointed by that, but I am. I really (laughs) don't want to believe in the Pacers. I don't
1: either. I'm, I'm. Look, I'm not a fan of saying this point, but just going off the the schedule and, and the makeup of their roster, it's hard to see. No, like, I understand the that. And I think
2: out. Jeff Teague has probably been better than he's gotten credit for. And Miles Turner is certainly a special player. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, to me, though, like you look at the supporting cast, and I could just see multiple Multiple of those guys just sorting the wheels, falling off at the wrong time, and they struggle as a result. But, you know, maybe that doesn't happen. That's just kind of the direction I lean at the moment.
1: Ben, is this, is this a Monte <laughs> Ellis thing? Are Good you old Monte Ellis. Hey,
2: this? no one cheered harder for Monte Ellis than me back in the Warriors days. I, I, I will say that in my own defense. <laughs>
1: Okay, I that's that's good to hear. I I was on that same bandwagon, but it, it, him coming off the bench, putting in good second unit
2: uh, minutes for them. i as long as I he's playing he's for them valuable. and not us, I, you know, I'm fine with you saying that.
0: <laughs> You're fine with it. That's right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, moving on to number five, We've got the Atlanta Hawks at number five. They're 28 and 20, uh, six and four in their last 10. This is a team that, of course, made the Kyle Korver trade. There were some talks that before they went on a run of actually playing good basketball that they might look to quasi-tank the rest of the season uh, and make some moves to kind of open up the cap for the future, including moving Paul Millsap. And now they're a winning basketball team that finds themselves in the 4-5 game. It's, it's kind of interesting to see where they found themselves after 20 games ago. It, it was pretty bleak. For the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Ben, I'll start with you. What do you see out of Atlanta? And again, is this a team that right now you believe in? Or do you still need to see more? Yeah, so
2: um, they're they're still an enigma to me. They're the most volatile team in the East, in my opinion. I think there's some things to really like. I think Dwight Howard has been very quietly very good. He's, I think, aged well. And I think embraced the role of not being the superstar and he, he hasn't been a source of a, a ton of drama, and I think that's a good thing for them. Um, just looking at like the last week or two, Baysmore's come to life a little bit offensively. He started so slow after um, signing that contract in the offseason. Uh, he's coming on offensive a little bit. That's a huge sign for them. The big scary point for me is they're another team with a losing point differential. Their expected win-loss is 23-24, and 24, um, and they've had a seven-game win streak and a seven-game losing streak, so that speaks to that volatility. So you know, if, if they go on another seven-game win st- or losing streak at the wrong time, they can lose themselves right out of the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think Kyle Korver probably just wasn't as important to them as it seemed like he was based on his history. Uh, I think Millsap and Howard really are kind of the foundation. And then if Bavesmore just continues to make shots, I think their offense is going to look a lot better than it did during the first 20. Schroeder's still a bit of a wild card. Not totally a believer in him yet. Uh, Still super intrigued by his talent level, which I think is really high. Um, But, yeah, still an enigma to me. Um, Very volatile. If anyone is to fall apart in the East, like, most likely to totally blow it, Atlanta would be that team for me.
1: Yep. Yep. Same boat. I am on that boat with you. Why is that? Point differential is one of them, but also, as you can tell, I did my homework with schedules, and Ben talked about a seven- Came losing streak, and I'm looking at one right here. Starting on March 3rd, they go Cavs, Pacers, Warriors, Nets, W. Um, but then they got Raptors, Grizzlies, Spurs, Grizzlies, which is oof, that is tough. Um, so their March is pretty pretty intimidating for someone that's sitting at fourth right now in the Eastern Conference. I I could see the bottom falling out on them.
0: And it's still a front office that kind of expected that, and then the team started winning again. So it's it's a really bizarre situation, and I, I'm i not sure what they do. They probably don't do anything at the deadline because if they find themselves still in that four four or five spot a few weeks from now, I don't know what moves you make to really change the roster unless you...
1: Unless Toronto comes to them with like a we'll give you anything for Paul Millsap offer, which sure. then you just yeah. fleece Toronto. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. outside of fleecing somebody for Paul Millsap. And I think that's something they would have to consider at this point. I'm not sure what else they can do at the deadline to either improve that team or make a decision that you know they're not too worried about the rest of this season. Uh, which is part of the reason I had them at 5 and had the Washington Wizards in at 4. I just really like what I've seen out of Washington this whole season, and now they're finally winning basketball games. Uh, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10, 27-20 overall. It's the Scott Brooks redemption story. And beyond. I hate this.
1: I hate this story so much. I, I'm, I'm going to go on record. I hate the Wizards more than anyone else in the East. Oh, this pains me. You hate team. them more
0: than anyone else? Yeah.
1: I, I hate, I hate seeing this team be successful. It's, it pains me. Pains is me. Is it John Wall? Is it, it's John, is Wall. John Wall. It's, yeah. it's John Wall. It's, um, Gortat. It's, God, it's so many things. It's I just hate it. I hate it so much. I can't stand the Wizards for whatever reason. I don't know. It's it's a weird quirk, like quirk of mine. I just I can't stand that team.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I don't mind it too much. I, I really like Marquis e. Force and he's been playing great. I've got him in my fantasy team. Just recently picked him up. He's been great. Uh, Bradley Beal and an actually healthy Bradley Beal. We come to know what to expect from him, but. We're all waiting for that, you know, two to three weeks that he misses at some point in the season. Uh, and John Wall is John Wall. So when it's all clicking and it's all, you know, happening at the same time, it's, they're a good team. But I am surprised that they find themselves 27 and 20 after the rough start that they had. They've been really great in January. This is a team that's coming off just a really great month of basketball. Yeah, and I mean, I think Bradley Beale is
2: better than I thought he'd be. Um, he's become a little more complete player. And I think Otto Porter has been quietly solid for them as well. I mean, he doesn't score a ton of points, but he's sort of like a do-it-all sort of glue guy, right? Um, And then John Wall, I think he's made the case for himself as being one of the better point guards in the Eastern Conference. It's taken a while for him to get there for me. I think he was way overhyped early in his career, and I think that sort of soured me on him. But at 26 years old this season, he's an efficient scorer, he's a very good passer. I mean, just a crazy assist rate. Absolutely crazy assist rate. Uh, And so much fun to watch in transition. So, yeah, I mean, this is a team that's better than I thought they would be. And I think Bradley Beal and John Wall um, have figured out how to play together um, in a way that I I was skeptical would happen.
0: And before we move on, Ben, is this a team that can make some noise in the playoffs? It depends on the matchup they get, but
2: probably a one and out. Yeah, I mean, like... Whenever you have guys who can shoot the deep ball in a seven-game series, something crazy can happen, and that's what makes the playoffs so fun. But I mean, if if they can push to the fifth seed and they get Atlanta, maybe they can beat Atlanta. I don't see them winning against any of the top three teams in the East, though. If they
1: Atlanta won't be in the four, though, I can I I will guarantee that Atlanta will not be in the four.
0: I'm really I will, saying some things in this episode, Jamie. I, I would like be it. shocked if Atlanta is still in the four come April. That'd be crazy. I think I would as well. I, I do think Atlanta is probably still a playoff team. I think they can hold on. Uh, I think it would take a pretty major collapse. But you're right. They've got a, a pretty rough stretch in March that if things start to go south, maybe it completely falls apart. Uh, but that's why I just have a little more faith in what's happening in Washington right now than Atlanta. And putting uh, – with Atlanta being a half game better right now, putting the Wizards hate, hate aside and you know trying to be the
1: objective NBA podcaster right now, um, I have been really impressed by their work on the boards. Their front court rebounding has been really impressive in January. Uh, Gortat, Morris, um, all of their front court has done a really good job of cleaning the glass, and I think that's one of the reasons why they've been winning these games so much. I do think they have a little bit of a turnover problem. Uh, that they need to clean up before the playoffs. But like Ben was saying, they they got guys with range. And, I mean, if they're in the fifth spot, anything can happen. So I think they'll be a one and out, but I wouldn't be surprised if they sneak in the second round.
0: I talk about another team that might be sneaky come playoff time, and that's the Boston Celtics. Uh, and at number three, 29-18, uh, with the recent loss of the Raptors, just had... Um. To Orlando, 114, 113 on Sunday. Uh, Boston now finds themselves actually number two, uh, but keeping them at number three, it, it's a sneaky good team. It took them a little while to figure it out, maybe about 20 games into the season, and they've been great since then. Uh, it's a lot of credit again to Coach Brad Stevens, but Jamie, isn't this a team that I'm still waiting for the trade? Am I going to see it this season? It, or it. it is this roster just going to push forward the way it is?
1: I I envy Danny Ainge right now because he is just sitting on a war chest for the past year and a half, two years. And I, I don't think that they're in a position where they need to make a move in the middle of the season. I, I think they've kind of taken a very realist approach to building this team. Um, and I think for them to make a move at the deadline would be a bit premature. I think they're someone that's going to make a move with that Nets pick in the off season, or they're going to lure a free agent somehow. Um, I don't see them making a move at the deadline. I think they could actually get to the Eastern conference finals with the team they have. I think Isaiah Thomas is that good. I think Jay Crowder has been playing excellent for them. Um, I do think they need some more front court help, but it, you, they're going through a rough stretch right now. It's just a weird January. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though if they if they sneak into
2: that Eastern Conference Final. I was looking back over his last week, and I he's scoring like thirty points a game or something. I'm like, dang, thirty points a game. And then I look at his season average, and it's twenty nine. It's only a point over his season average, right? He's a fantastic player, absolutely fantastic player. Um, if I were Danny Ainge, I would not, I wouldn't do anything too risky this. Offseason, uh, I think they have some holes to plug. They have some rotation guys on expiring contracts rolling off: Amir Johnson, Jonas Shrebko, uh both former Pistons, ironically. Um, but I think they, you know, as as Jamie was saying, they have some assets. They'll be able to plug those holes. Uh, so I would not do anything drastic. I think you struck gold with Isaiah Thomas. No one knew he was going to be this good, and Al Horford is aging well. He's he's playing well as sort of the you know the glue of the defense direct, directing traffic and then producing offensively, really is almost a third option at, at times. Uh, and definitely a team that's better than I thought they'd be. I thought they'd be good, but they're better than I thought they'd be. I think that has to be because of Isaiah Thomas. He's just been absolutely phenomenal. Do you think, Ben,
1: real quick, from a front office standpoint, and, and this could just be my theory, do you think they're timing up their moves to align with, the theoretic closing of LeBron's window because i i that's my opinion i think they're in the best position of any team in the east to kind of move in when LeBron James eventually kind of starts to Yeah, no that uh, makes sense. I hadn't it.
2: given that a ton of thought but when you even if just considering the age of their key cogs like Bradley, Isaiah Thomas 26 27, Crowder 26, uh, Alenick 25 Right, Horford's the only guy thirty or older who's contributing, so that absolutely makes sense, and I I think that's smart because you're not going to get through LeBron in the next year or two.
1: No, I think that's a big thing with teams in the East. You got to play the long game. Like if you're trying to go all in and go up against the Cavs in the next this year or next year you're going to waste a ton of resources and a ton of energy. I think the Celtics are in the best position to kind of play the long game and, and wait it out a bit and then make make the right moves at the right time so that their team is stacked come that time when LeBron James kind of starts to decline.
0: Uh, moving on to number two, the Toronto Raptors. If we go off point differential, the best team in the Eastern Conference right now at 29-19. and 19. Uh, they've been struggling recently, and that includes that recent loss to Orlando Magic. Uh, they've dropped some winnable games in the last few weeks, uh, but still look to be a pretty good team, still one of the three most efficient offenses in the NBA. Uh, what have you liked that from what you've seen so far? Yeah, right? I mean, it's all about from their the back Raptors. I mean,
2: Just absolutely phenomenal play uh, from Lowry and DeRozan.
0: Both guys very
2: difficult to deal with, uh, but in very different ways. You know, Lowry was shooting an ungodly, like 60% true shooting percentage early in the year, and that was bound to fall off. He's had some struggles of late. Um, yeah, the team has struggled too over the last seven or eight games, but I think when I was looking back through things, the thing that jumps out to me is they lost two coin flips. They lost by two to the Spurs, and they lost by two uh, to Memphis. And you know, when you lose a couple of coin flip games over the course of eight games, it's going to make things look worse um, when you're just looking at the short term. Uh, offensively still one of the best teams in the NBA and started the recent struggles. And that's, that's a surprise. Um, that, that's actually a pretty significant surprise, but DeRozan, um, you know, not a great threat from deep, but difficult everywhere else. And then Lowry, I think uh, just a really fantastic point guard. He, he scores the ball without being selfish. I just want Reggie Jackson to watch Kyle Lowry game film, like every off day, uh, because he's a joy to watch. He, he scores 20, almost 23 points a game, but, I never watch him and think, oh, man, he you know, he's dominating the ball in a negative way. Um, but definitely it's all about the backcourt with the Raptors, and, and they're,
0: they're a nightmare to deal with back there. Jamie, I wanted to ask you, do you see this team as a threat to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East?
1: I think they're a move away from being a threat to the Cavs. I think there's a couple of things that have kind of worked against them. Damari Carroll hasn't really panned out offensively. Like, I think they kind of hoped he would. Um, I think defensively he'll help them out in the playoffs, um, but offensively he hasn't really contributed much. Obviously that could also be because Lowry and DeRozan have just been the spectacular players they have been. Um, but also Valen I, I just don't see him being the guy who can really bang down low against Tristan Tom- the likes of Tristan Thompson and, and Kevin Love or or float outside with Kevin Love and defend him. I think they need to make a move with him um to get someone like a Paul Millsap or, or some other more flexible uh starting four uh or even a small five I I, I think he's kind of the the key factor you got to look at
2: moving um to really take a run at the Cavs I think that makes sense I think they definitely have a weakness up front Tristan Thompson is a I mean he's going to have a field day against Toronto if it, if it comes down to that I don't think they have anybody who can stop Kevin Love, who's at the uh, the the top of his game. But that's true of just about basically everyone in the East. So yeah, move away is a good way to put it, and that's very probably a front court move.
1: I mean, you even look at the series last year against Cavs. It was Bismack Biyombo who was kind of a key yeah. player uh, in the yeah. the couple of wins Toronto got because of his defense. Um, so I think they need someone kind of in that similar vein to really help them take that next step.
0: You're right. It might be worth just throwing the farm at Atlanta and trying to get Paul Millsap, because that would be a really great seven game series. If you add Paul Millsap to the Raptors up against the Cavs, I think that'd be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. He at least matches up better with love and, and Cleveland's whole front court for that matter. Um, which is I mean, Cleveland in general is lacking a little bit of depth. This year, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, and this—I mean, this doesn't quite totally address
2: like the, that's right, the perfect. Tristan Thompson, right. Kevin Love, Kevin Love issue. But if I'm not mistaken, Jared Sollinger is is back. I think that's correct. So, oh yeah, no, he
1: he's yeah. his time himself to the D that's,
2: that's that's really interesting. But he is, is you know, obviously amazing. he hasn't played much. Yeah, just a handful of minutes this season. If he rounds into form come playoff time. He can make a positive difference for them. I'm not sure it's enough to get past Cleveland, but it's a tool they don't have in the toolbox right now. That is a good call. That is someone I wasn't thinking of, but that is a very good call.
0: Really, because we haven't seen him this year, but that's true. that, And he also gives you a little bit more offense than what you might have got out of Bismack last year. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's at least another piece if they can't find a trade partner at the deadline. Moving on to number one, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers at 32-14. and 14. The best team in the Eastern Conference, blah, blah, blah. I don't I don't want to talk about Cleveland, but we should talk about Cleveland. And part of what I want to talk about with the Cavaliers is I, I watched the game today against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it was a game that, you know, Kevin Love didn't play. I think he played 12 minutes. Um, and it was LeBron and Kyrie were dominant. And everybody else just kind of played what their role was you know, what's given to them. Um, I, is that bench good enough for this team to win the, the NBA finals again? Ben, I'll start with you. Well, and I mean, my question. gut reaction is no, but I said no
2: last year and they <laughs> proved basically everybody wrong. I don't see how anyone beats the Warriors. I really don't, including Cleveland. Um, and it's not even necessarily about the bench. It's that golden state is just so good. I mean, they're, they're top four players would be a top one or two player on every single team in the NBA, and no one else has that. Cavs are close. They've got three really good players. Um, But, you know, last year I would have said there's no way that the Cavs are deep enough. There's no way that the role players are good enough. And LeBron and Kyrie proved to be enough. And, you know, could that happen again? Yeah, it could. And I I hate that it could, but it could. But, you know, you look at their big three, they're averaging 70 points a game among the three of them. That's ridiculous. Only Golden State has anything close to that. So the rest of those guys, I mean, you just throw random six guys along with those three, and the group that they have who would make up those six players are somehow good enough. I mean, Korver, 35 years old. Richard Jefferson, 36 years old. You know, Dunleavy no longer on the team, but was 36 years old and so on. When all you got to do is stand in the corner and shoot three-pointers and play defense, you know, there's a lot of guys in the NBA who can do that because of how truly great the top three players are for the Cavs.
0: Jamie, your thoughts on uh, the Cavs?
1: Yeah, I, I think their depth is a real issue. I I think it took a lot of extraordinary things to line up and happen for them to beat the Warriors last year. And you add Kevin Durant to that Warriors team this year, and I, I just think right now they, they don't have the depth to play with the Warriors. I think... Um, kind of similar to what LeBron has said the past week, they do need a playmaker. They need a a backup playmaker that can come in and kind of help that second unit out. Um, I know the rumors this week have been Shelvin Mack uh, is someone that Cleveland's trying to make a deal for. Um, But I think someone else that has been mentioned a little bit that I would really like to see um, in a Cavs uniform just for how it could play out uh, is Darren Williams. Um, I think Dallas is in tank mode i think him as a backup guard for the Cavs in a series against the warriors that would be really interesting to see um so i'm curious to see what the Cavs do with trade deadline time because yeah i i don't think they have the depth to go toe-to-toe with the warriors in the finals
0: and with lebron calling on you know the front office to to do more I'm sure we'll see something at the deadline. Darren Williams is kind of an interesting name. Ben, is that the type of point guard you'd want to add to the Cavaliers? Yeah, if maybe
2: if I had a time machine. I mean, <laughs> Darren Williams, gosh, he hasn't aged well, though. Look
1: at he? Gulker. Gulker, look at Williams' numbers from this year. Just just do me a favor look at them. You're going to be a little bit surprised. They haven't been as terrible as you might expect. He's quietly put together a somewhat good year for a really atrocious Dallas Mavericks team. I I'm I'm
2: buying low on so, okay. Darren Williams right now. How do they make it work? So Darren his contract is what? Oh, it's only nine million, so that's reasonable. So the Cavs could potentially throw
1: Yeah, it is you know, expiring throw
2: expiring. like Korver's expiring contract with a couple other expiring contracts and somehow make it work.
1: Yeah, it'd be a total salary dump, and I think because he's expiring, it fits within their trade exception. If I'm, I, I, don't quote me on that, but um,
2: yeah, no, that's interesting. I had not considered could Darren Williams. I, work. I don't think I've thought of Darren Williams for at least two years. So, I appreciate you reminding me that he's still in the NBA. <laughs> I don't think
1: I don't think anyone else has. I don't think anyone else has.
2: That's how deep <laughs> my fantasy league
1: is. I'm I'm tracking Darren Williams quite good stats. <laughs> Twenty seventeen.
0: I love that the podcast is going to end the way it started with a little bit of fantasy talk, starting with the Nets <laughs> and then ending with the Cavs. That's perfect. Right. at that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it. We've gone one through 15 on the Eastern conference and uh, we'll be talking to Jamie. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon, especially with some of the things you've said and we got to bring you back in a month and see if some of these guarantees actually, uh, actually came through for you. Oh, I'm looking
1: forward to coming on in March and, and, Boasting about
2: how I called all of this a month ago. Boasting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: it's all recorded. That's what I love about this. Sounds oh, yeah. good. It's fun talking. We'll be talking to it. you soon. I had a blast.